All right, look at your Bibles. We are in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. Today, we, all, we each need to ask ourselves two questions. Am I a proud person? And if so, how do I change and become a humble person? Those are the two questions I want you to focus on as we go through this passage. Am I a proud person? And if so, how do I change and become a humble person? This passage reveals the answer to both of these. It will expose your heart, I promise, as we look at this passage. And it will also give you hope if you respond appropriately. I'm so very thankful for this passage because it's a good uh, turn the light on from my own heart and remind me of just how much I need God. Like I said last week, the section really breaks down into a a very simple outline. Uh, The setting for the parable is found in verse 9. The explanation of the parable is found in verses 10 through 13. And then the point of the parable is found in verse 14. Last week we looked at the setting of the parable, and in the setting we saw that Jesus was addressing a group of self-righteous religious people, those who were trusting in themselves and were condemning everybody else. They thought that their accomplishments were enough and that it was really all about them. And then they looked at everybody else with contempt, saying, I'm better than that guy over there, so that means I'm good with God. That's who Jesus is addressing with this parable. And I would challenge you to look at your own heart and see if that describes you. I hope it doesn't. At points in our lives, all of us can be tempted to fall back into this kind of thinking, though, even after becoming believers, as I mentioned last week. So last week we covered the, half, the first half of the parable explaining the self-righteous Pharisee. We saw that the self-righteous Pharisee was, a, was presented as a proud, independent, self-obsessed me-monster. Jesus presents in this parable a glimpse into the heart of a person filled with pride. He was all about himself, even in his prayers. He elevated himself and he condemned others. Literally, it says, he prayed to himself, God I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, and even like that tax collector there. The proud person has a big view of man and a low view of God. The proud person sees himself as better than others. The proud person sees everyone else's sin, but he does not see his own. The proud person promotes his own glory at the expense of others. The proud person condemns others on the basis of their preferences and standards instead of kindly looking to help people who are in real bondage to sin. The proud person's favorite subject is himself. The proud person's favorite subject is also his desires his preferences, and his life. The proud person thinks they accomplish everything. The proud person thinks they deserve better always. The proud person wants to do good things to be noticed and praised. 
The proud person often is angry, is an angry person. Why does anger come for a proud person? It arises because they don't have their expectations met. They think that they deserve better because after all, they are proud. And they're Lord in their life. Just like the Pharisees, the proud person is focused on self. The proud person is someone that will never admit their sin without an excuse or a justification or an argument. The proud person has a hard time submitting to authority. The proud person looks at others as vehicles to get what they want. Does that describe you? So, ultimately, we're all at the place now, hopefully. If not, you maybe should read back over those or listen to that part of the sermon again. That realizes, hey, I need to change and I need help. Again, the best way to determine if you are a proud person is to examine who do you think about most. If we think about ourselves and what we want... Most of the time, instead of others and what they need, we have a heart problem. So Jesus laid out clearly an example of this kind of proud person, the Pharisee. He had exalted himself before others and even God and condemned others. Now let's look at this dramatic contrast with the humble tax collector. In verse 13 it says, But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. We see here that the humble tax collector was truly humble. It's a dramatic contrast, and it starts with the but. Jesus makes it very clear. The tax collector is the opposite of the Pharisee. Humility comes from a person who is fully aware of just how insignificant he is compared to the awesome God. We'll see that as we develop this. A humble person is someone who is totally absorbed with God. A humble person is like this tax collector Jesus is presenting in the parable. A tax collector... These were the worst of the worst in Jesus' day. They were called traitors because they worked with the Roman government. They were called crooks because they overcharged their fellow Jews. These were the gangsters of of 2,000 years ago. Those who were trusting in their own righteousness looked at these tax collectors with great contempt. They hated them. Because after all, they were stealing from them. It was not that they were stealing from God, but they were stealing from me. See, that's a great way, by the way, an indication whether or not a person's proud and self-righteous. Whether offenses are because they've hurt you or because they've hurt God. But in this case, the tax collectors, they were hurting the fellow people in the country. And so therefore, they looked at them and said, These guys are the worst. We hate them. It's so Jesus-like here to bring up the worst person in the minds of the Pharisees and the people he talks to 
to be the very one that he's going to say is the one that's right with God. <laughs> it's like, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to find the worst, the nastiest, the most defiled sinner, and I'm going to say, this one's right with God. But you are a wicked, wretched man. God shakes us up a little bit too, doesn't he? He shook his place up a little bit. But then, this is what Jesus was all about. Condemning self-righteousness and giving grace to the humble. If you think highly of yourself, you would have hated this parable. <laughs> Fairly sure. You're sitting there going, I hate the guy that he's even representing. I don't like the God that this guy is presenting. What does it say about their God? It wasn't the God they said they followed. It wasn't the God of the Bible, the Old Testament. If you were being crushed by the weight of your hypocrisy, however, this would have driven you to do what the tax collector did. See, if you are in the place where you recognize your pride fully right now, you are saying, I'm a sinner. I need you. You are now the tax collector. If not, you've missed the message. Go back, rewind the tape, and start over. This man stood at some distance away. His humility is seen in the distance away that he stood from the temple area where the other people would gather to pray. He did not see himself as worthy of approaching the temple. He was totally ashamed of his sin in light of a holy God. Listen, Jesus presents this guy not as someone who was ashamed of the people in the temple, but a person ashamed and shamed over his sin in light of a holy God. Again, true humility is not concerned with what other people think, but rather true humility is totally concerned with what God thinks. Crucial. It is only, and it is, the only place that you find true repentance. You will only find true repentance if you see your sin in light of a holy God. You will not find true repentance if you see your sin in light of the people that are looking at you. Because if you see your sin in light of the people that are looking around at you, you will clean it up on the outside. When you come face to face with a holy God and you see just how wretched you are, you will not even want to come into his presence. You will stand away. Now a warning needs to be made here. If your God is not the God of the Bible, then you may find that you have no conviction, no guilt for your sin because of the personally made God that you have in your mind. You see, what happens with prideful people is they make a God that accepts them for who they are. And they name Him Jesus. And He hates it. The real Jesus hates that. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we are nothing. We are sinful. We are prideful people. Jesus is not my homeboy. He is God Almighty. And I'm afraid of Him. Wait, Mike, you said you're not supposed to be afraid of Him. Wait a second. I reverentially respect and honor the Lord God Almighty because He's holy and just. And by the grace of God alone, I stand only because of what Christ did, not because of what I do. I'm nothing without Him and deserve judgment. However, this guy in the parable is portrayed as a beautiful picture of humility on the contrast to the Pharisee. See, he knows the glory of God, and that's how he is presented. And he responds appropriately. Look, he was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. Again, we see here utter brokenness over his sinfulness. This man is not even willing to lift up his eyes to heaven. We get this picture in our mind of people who are aware of God's holiness that they can't even bear to look up because they see how great and how awesome and how holy God is. He sees his sin as God sees his sin. He understands the fullness of God's holiness. And this understanding impacts the way he presents himself to God in prayer. He comes humbly to God because of his sin. Yet also he comes fully owning his own sinfulness. As we see in this next little phrase, but he was beating his breast. He's utterly ashamed. He sees his sin and says, oh, oh, I hate myself. He's not trying to beat himself to earn favor with God or to show his righteousness or his brokenness to earn some favor. He's totally ashamed of his wickedness. You know, I was thinking about this as I was beating on my chest. Probably not good with a, with a microphone. Beating on the chest. You know, sports figures nowadays, right? What they do? Score a touchdown. Me, 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 I'm the one, I scored, me, I did it, give me the ball, me. That's not what we're talking about here. Nobody, nobody does that with our sin though, do we? <laughs> oh yeah, yep, me, I did it, I'm the sinner, wicked, wretched man that I am. No, we do this when we sin. He made me do it. I was raised that way. This is the time we need to evaluate our hearts and say, God, I'm tired and I'm at the end of myself and I'm going to stop blaming everybody else for my own sin and I'm going to own it. I did it. 
Is this what your prayer life looks like? <laughs> it should. It should include this. I mean, if we think about this for a second, anybody go last couple days without sinning? If you did, go back to rewind the tape. Read, listen to the first half again. Okay, so that sin, what'd you do with that one? Oh, God, sorry. You know, that's the way I am. Excuse. Justification. We do it all the time, don't we? Oh, you know, I, I, you know I do that one, but you know, that's just who I am. <laughs> that's not what beating your breast is about here. That's not owning your sin. That's making an excuse for it. A humble man steps up and says, I did it to God. I think all too often we are ashamed of what people think of our sin when we're caught. Think about this. There should be some real problems. That the only sins you cry over are the ones you get caught by other people. Do you get that? What about those closet sins nobody else sees? You ashamed of those? Do you beat your breast over those? No, just the ones that people expose me for. There's a problem, isn't there? Again, the beginning of repentance is an awareness of sin in light of a holy God. Knowing Him. When you know God, your sin is exposed and you are convicted and you break. But if you don't know God, then you're only worried about what other people think. You're not broken. Humility thinks low of self and high of God. That's what this man was all about. Now, this is not talking down about yourself for the purpose of gaining encouragement from others either, by the way. Some of us have a propensity to do that. You know, walk up and say, man, I did it again. I'm such a wretched sinner. Actually, I was talking to a guy just recently at this concert we had. And it was funny because... I thought it was like, wow, this is going to be great. I'm going to give this guy the gospel. He's sitting there. He's just sharing. I gave the gospel to him. And then five minutes later, I saw him at another person saying the same thing he saw to me. And then I, he went over and he told another guy the same thing. And it went to all the artists. And every one of them probably got the same thing. But we kept saying the same thing. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and follow Christ. Christ is your hope. I think he was just wanting a little bit of attention. We can all fall into that trap, by the way. Don't think that I'm any, saying I'm any better, because I know I'm that kind of guy. I do it with this one. I hit confession time for pastor. When I get tired, uh, like right now, I'm weary. I'll, I'll go up to somebody and say, man, I'm just really tired. <laughs> well, why are you telling me, Mike? 
Because, you know, I just want a little bit of encouragement. <laughs> just want you to say, hey, you can do it, man. You can do it. No, you can't. I'll pray for you. See, true humili humility is not about being exalted from humans. It's about being crushed by the weight of God's glory. Again, the key indicator of pride and humility is the subject of your attention. Who do you think about? True humility is a person who has a biblical view of God and in turn has a proper view of themselves in light of God's holy, righteous character. Humility arises from a full awareness of God's grace. Now listen to me. This one blows my mind, all of you Calvinists. All you that say, I understand the grace of God. I'm all for the five points of Calvinism. I can nail them out. I got them and I can defend them. What is it about people that know these great doctrinal truths that are sometimes the most prideful people? If we understand the doctrines of grace, we should be the most humble people. We are nothing. We must understand that if we know anything, it's because God has given it to us. Humility sees the great value of God and the smallness of ourself. Okay. You know, I have to admit it. Like I told you last week, I see the Calvinist in the Pharisee. I thank you that I'm not like these other people. <laughs> now, again, I... Oh, I'm going to say it from the pulpit. <laughs> I support the five points of Calvinism. I believe in them. I believe what the Bible says. That's where I am now. Wasn't there ten years ago. But, listen closely. All it should do is squash me under myself and make me the most humble person in the world. Not saying, oh, I sure am thankful I'm not like that Arminian over there. Humility and dependence. That's what we see from this guy. Look at it. Dependence. Saying, God, be merciful to me. Notice this time the tax collector does not pray to himself. <laughs> he prays to God, both in word and heart. <laughs> he knows his hope is not found in himself. He's at the end of himself and he says, in effect, God is my only hope. So I will throw myself at the mercy of God. I love this phrase. The translation doesn't give it to you completely. God be merciful to me. It literally is God propitiate for me. Propitiate for me. Be my appeasement of your wrath. Somehow give me an appeasement of your wrath. I deserve your judgment. Somehow give me an atonement. What's he saying? I can do nothing. I can't make up for who I am. I'm nothing. 
I need you not only to forgive me, but to give the way for me to be forgiven. I need an atonement. Again, what's he saying? My only hope is be, in being right with you is found in you. <laughs> nothing I can accomplish. Nothing that I have. I bring nothing to the table. It's all you. He says, in effect, I deserve help. Please save me. This tax collector is presented as totally focused on God alone to bring about his redemption. He agrees God is holy and he is sinful. He agrees with God about his status. He recognizes his sin and his total need of mercy to avoid God's wrath. Again, he knows his only hope is found in God by providing an atonement for him. Look, this man is fully fixed on his utter inability to save himself. This is exactly the opposite of the Pharisee. The exact opposite. The tax collector has nothing to offer but his total surrender. And he pleads for God's compassion. Now listen to me, folks. I cannot stress this enough to you. I am, I am convinced more and more as time goes along that we go to Christ's atonement on big sins and not on small ones. <laughs> I am completely convinced we go to the gospel only when it's really bad. But other ones we say, I'll clean myself up. In our sanctification, we are doing what the Pharisee did. I am completely convinced I have a really small view of God still. I still see myself as pretty good. And in order for that to change, I need a new glimpse of God's glory every day. In order for me to get that, I'm going to have to go to the one place I can get it. The Bible. And I'm going to do everything I can to know God more so he will expose me for who I really am. So that I will depend upon him alone. I do not go to the Bible to clean myself up. I go to the Bible to see how sinful I am and can look to my Savior again. an interesting thought. Think on it. I think often we say, okay, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. Okay, let me find some scriptures. Okay, I'll just do these things. No, go to the Bible to find the glory of God. And you go to the Bible to find the glory of God and you will what? Break. He'll expose your heart and you will depend upon him. This guy is dependent upon God because he has a good understanding of God's holiness. And he proves that he's come alive. He is literally spiritually alive. The tax collector is presented as a man with right theology, right? He views God as just. He views God as the justifier. He views God himself as sinful. 
And he views himself as literally the sinner. <laughs> that article's there. The sinner. Now think about this for a second. How many times in your prayers have you done this? You know, you're doing the prayer. You say, oh, we sure are sinful people. Now, it's okay to say we're sinful people. But if it's, you're using that in your prayer to kind of say, you know, I'm like them. Then you missed it. Your eyes still aren't on God. Recognize that you are the sinner. You know, the Pharisee comes with the eyes of everybody else on him. He's thinking, oh, well, all these people, at least I'm not like that guy and that guy and that guy and that guy. Right? But the, the humble tax collector comes to God, what? And there's only two beings there. Him and God. God, sinner, the sinner. Oh, all too much, all too often. I need this reminder, don't we all? Who has disappeared from the attention of the sinner, the tax collector? Who's not even in view? Anybody else? He could care less who's looking. He's not worried what anybody else thinks about him. He's a blabbering idiot. Banging his chest. Right? Totally enraptured by the holiness of God and fully convicted by his sin. And he says, I'm nothing. And he doesn't even notice anybody else in the room or in the area. He could care less what they think. I'm the sinner. Till everyone leaves your focus and, become, and God becomes your primary attention, you are not ready for repentance. Until everybody else's opinion flees away and your attention is totally on the holiness of God, you are not ready for repentance. Full exposure recognizes God alone in our own selves in light of God. Oh, folks, it's so important. Everyone else vanishes when we begin to confess our sins. Now, I want you to think about this. I'm going to pick on the Roman Catholics again. I have a tendency to do that. Where do they tell us to go? Go to a priest. Get your attention on the priest. What does that do? It never cleans up the heart. Never exposes the heart. Because after all, I'm going to talk to a man, I ain't going to tell him what I'm really thinking. If I really told him what I was really thinking, oh my, he would be... <laughs> I'd never get off my knees. I'd be doing Hail Marys for the rest of my life. But when I go to God, full exposure's there, right? He sees it all. <laughs> he knows the deep, wretched 
ugly thoughts in your heart. <laughs> and they are there. <laughs> oh, but not me. Oh. Go back to the first part of the tape and play it again. Again, it is not until you get to this place that new birth has really even happened. Do you understand that? It's not until you fully recognize your sinfulness in light of a holy God. It's not until that point that you've even been born again. Because it's not until you are regenerate that you can even recognize the sinfulness of yourself. And ladies and gentlemen, that comes when the gospel smacks you in the face. God uses that instrument to expose your heart for who you are. So how do we view ourselves? Especially in light of our propensity to still sin. Even though many of us in here have repented and trusted in Christ, we still sin, don't we? If not, go back to the first part of the tape. Do we view our sin as horrific today as we did when we first believed? I want you to think about that. In some ways, shouldn't our confession time and time with God in light of our sinfulness be more aware of God's holiness than when we first became a believer? Just stop, think about this for a second. When we first became a believer, did you know how sinful you were? No, it was, it was like a, a beginning sinfulness. Oh, this is really how bad you are. And it was a big weight on my back, right? But I don't know about you, but the more I walk with Jesus, the more holy I see him, the more, whoa! And I know what he thinks of sin. I know sin more. And I know what he thinks of sin more. And I know the cross a little bit better today than I did then. And I know what my wrath that I deserve better today than I knew then. And that should crush everybody in the room. If you sinned this morning. And you did. Did everybody have great God-honoring thoughts all morning long? If you did, man. Made what? Made three or four hours with not even a judgmental thought in your mind. Whoa, who is that? Don't raise your hand, whatever you do. <laughs> Go back and listen to the first half of the message. <laughs> We are nothing apart from God. We are totally in need of His grace and mercy. I'm afraid all too often we've forgotten the cross. And we say things like, I sure am glad you saved me before I did what that person did. <sighs> sure am glad I'm not like him. This is pride. It needs to die. Folks, I was thinking on this, and I thought this verse really nails it, doesn't it? 
Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. A.W. Pink said, The Christian who has stopped repenting has stopped growing. It's truth. So what's the answer? Is when you get there, at the bottom, and you look up and you see the holiness of God in your sinfulness, you recognize there's only one answer, and His name is Jesus Christ. He is your hope. And God will exalt the humbled? That's a, that's a staggering thought. Look at the point. He says it. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, get this. This is a judicial verdict that Jesus hands down. Look what he says. Look. He says, I tell you, this man went to his house declared right rather than the other. He's right with God. I tell you, folks, listen. The man who humbles himself and falls before a holy God and says, I'm nothing, I'm undone. I am the sinner. That's the man, God says. You are mine. Christ's righteousness is credited to your account. Your sins are forgiven. That's the man. It's a judicial verdict. The humble, dependent tax collector was declared righteous with God rather than the other. And then he kind of gives a reason. He says, For everyone who exalts himself, everyone who exalts himself, will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the whole point of this parable. You can summarize the whole thing. Look, get this, understand. If you are about cleaning yourself up, saying, I'm something special, look at me, come to me. God, don't you like me? I'm better than that guy over there. Then God's going to do this. Okay? But if you are the one in the room that says, I'm absolutely nothing, I'm completely convinced I'm the worst sinner in this room. There's nobody better, worse, more of a sinner than me. That's me. I'm the sinner. And it really doesn't matter what you guys think, because I know in light of God's holiness, I am the sinner. That's it. The guy that says that, God goes, okay, I'll give you righteousness from Christ. All your sins paid for, and guess what? You're my child, and you're going to live with me forever in eternity. Why? Grace! It's good news, isn't it? The way 
to righteousness is on your face. Fully aware of God's glory. And fully aware of your sinfulness. The way to hell is cleaning up the outside of the cup. Making yourself look good to others. That will get you there in a split second. As soon as you breathe that last breath. If you think you're something, you're not. If you think you're nothing, you are. Really? Only by grace. Only by grace. Only by grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story. Oh, Lord. There is no way to get away from your holiness. There is no way to get away from how big and good you are. God, we need you. We need Christ. Our only hope is the gospel. So we depend on you. We trust you. Father, I pray for your spirit to work in all of our lives, whether believer or unbeliever. Cause us to see the glory of the gospel. Help us to cling to the cross, to proclaim Christ and Him crucified, to long to know Christ and Him crucified. Oh God, we need You. We commit the rest of the day to You and we ask that You be glorified with what we do, knowing who You are. Let us serve You. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.